0: Good morning again. My name is PJ Ryan. I serve as one of the elders here at Calvary Bible Church Thank you for joining us this morning Uh, We're going to be reading this morning from First Kings chapter 2 We'll be reading the entire chapter verses 1 through 46 As David's time to draw time to die drew near he charged Solomon his son saying I'm going the way of all the earth be strong therefore and show yourself a man And keep the charge of the Lord your God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, and his testimonies, according to what is written in the law of Moses, that you may succeed in all that you do, and wherever you turn, so that the Lord may carry out his promise which he spoke concerning me, saying, If your sons are careful to their, of their way, to walk before me in truth with all their heart and with all their soul, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Now you also know what Joab, the son of Zariah, did to me, what he did to the two commanders of the armies of Israel, to Abner, the son of Ner, and to Amasa the son of Jether, whom he killed. He also shed the blood of war in peace. And he put the blood of war on his belt about his waist and on his sandals on his feet. So act according to your wisdom and do not let his gray hair go down to Sheol in peace. But... Show kindness to the sons of Barzillai, the Gileadite, and let them be among those who eat at your table, for they assisted me when I fled from Absalom, your brother. And behold, there is with you Shemai, the son of Gera the Benjamite of Bahrim. Now it was he who cursed me with a violent curse on the day I went to Mahanaim. But when he came down to me at the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death. With the sword. Now, therefore, do not let him go unpunished, for you are a wise man, and you will know what you ought to do to him, and you will bring his great hair down to Sheol Sheol with blood. Then David slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. And the days that David reigned over Israel were forty years. Seven years he reigned in Hebron, and thirty-three years he reigned in Jerusalem. And Solomon sat on the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. Now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. And she said, Do you come peacefully? And he said, Peacefully. Then he said, I have something to say to you. And she said, Speak. So he said, You know that the kingdom was mine. And that all Israel expected me to be king. However, the kingdom has turned about and become my brothers, for it was his from the Lord. And now I am making one request of you, do not refuse me. And she said to him, speak. Then he said, please speak to Solomon the king, for he will not refuse you that he may give me Abishag the Shunammite as a wife. And Bathsheba said, very well, I will speak to the king for you. So Bathsheba went to the king Solomon to speak to him for Adonijah, and the king arose to meet her, bowed before her, and sat on his throne. Then he had a throne set for the king's mother, and she sat on his right. Then she said, I am making one small request of you. Do not refuse me. And the king said to her, Ask my mother, for I will not refuse you. So she said, Let Abishag the Shunammite be given to Adonijah, your brother, as a wife. And King Solomon answered and said to his mother, And why are you asking Abishag the Shunammite for Adonijah? Ask for him also the kingdom, for he is my older brother, even for him, for Abiathar the priest, and for Joab the son of Zariah. Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, May God do so to me, and more also, if Adonijah has not spoken this word against his own life. Now, therefore, as the Lord lives, who has established me and set me on the throne of David, my father, and who has made me a house, as he promised, surely Adonijah will be put to death today. So King Solomon sent Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he fell upon him so that he died. Then to Abiathar, the priest, the king said, go to Enathoth, to your own field, for you deserve to die but I will not put you to death at this time because you carry the ark of the Lord God before my father David and because you were afflicted in everything with which my father was afflicted. So Solomon dismissed Abiah from being priest to the Lord in order to fulfill the word of the Lord which he had spoken concerning the house of Eli and Shiloh. Now the news came to Joab for Joab had followed Adonijah although he had not followed Absalom. And Joab flint fled to the tent of the Lord and took hold of the horns of the altar. And it was told King Solomon that Joab had fled to the tent of the Lord, and behold, he is beside the altar. Then Solomon sent Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, saying, Go, fall upon him. So Benaiah came to the tent of the Lord and said to him, Thus says the king, Come out. But he said, No, for I'll die here. And Benaiah brought the king word again, saying, Thus spoke Joab, and thus he did get answered me. And the king said to him, Do as he has spoken, and fall upon him and bury him, that you may remove from me and from my father's house the blood which Joab shed without cause. And the Lord will return his blood upon his own head, because he fell upon two men more righteous and better than he, and killed them with the sword, while my father David did not know it, Abner the son of Ner, commander of the army of Israel, and Amasa the son of Jether, commander of the army of Judah. So shall their blood return on the head of Joab and on the head of his descendants forever. But to David and his descendants and his house and his throne, may there be peace from the Lord forever. Then Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, went up and fell upon him and put him to death. And he was buried at his own house in the wilderness. And the king appointed Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, over the army in his place. And the king appointed Zadok, the priest, in place of uh, Abiathar. Now the king sent and called for Shammai and said to him, Build for yourself a house in Jerusalem and live there, and do not go out from there to any place. For it will happen on the day you go out and cross over the brook Kidron, you will know for certain that you shall surely die. Your blood shall be on your own head. Shammai then said to the king, The word is good, as my lord the king has said, so your servant will do. So Shammai lived in Jerusalem many days. But it came about at the end of three years that two of the servants of Shimei ran away to Achish, son of Meachah, king of Gath. And they told Shimei saying, Behold, your servants are in Gath. Then Shimei rose and saddled his donkey and went to Gath, to Achish, to look for his servants. And Shimei went and brought his servants from Gath. And it was told Solomon that Shimei had gone from Jerusalem to Gath and he had returned. So the king sent and called for Shimei and said to him, Did I not make you swear by the Lord and solemnly warn you saying, you know for certain that on the day that you depart and go anywhere you shall surely die? And you said to me, the word which I have heard is good. Why then have you not kept the oath of the Lord and command and the command which I have laid on you? The king also said to Shimei, you know all the evil which you acknowledge in your own heart which you did to my father David. Therefore, the Lord shall return your evil on your own head. But King Solomon shall be blessed, and the throne of David shall be established before the Lord forever. So the king commanded Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he went out and fell upon him so that he died. Thus, the kingdom was established in the hands of Solomon. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, PJ. Good job with all those names. Uh. They're always tough. Well, good morning, guys. Thank you for being here today. If you do not know, I'm Byron Braschel, the pastor here at Calvary. If you have any questions, feel free to see me after the service today. We are in our second week in the book of First Kings. We kind of introduced the book last week with David is on his deathbed, and then that's kind of where we pick up today. Uh, we're kind of taking large, larger sections of Scripture since the Old Testament is mainly stories, especially this particular genre. It, it's a collection of short stories, so we're trying to kind of cover more territory than we normally would. And kind of what we're looking for is, is not only the point of the passage, but also a practical application to life. And the reason we are looking at that is because of 1 Kings chapter 10, it says there, Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, now these things happen as examples to us, he's speaking of the Old Testament saints, as examples to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did. So the Old Testament is not just there to establish the New Testament and to foreshadow the Messiah, but it's also to kind of teach us what not to do, right? If we don't learn from history, we're bound to repeat it. And what we see in Second Kings, First Kings chapter 2 is a season of change. It's a season of transition. David is on his deathbed. And if you notice in verses 1 through 9, he gives Solomon some final instruction and then Solomon uh, enacts, in a sense, David's bloodless so to speak we'll talk about that here in just a moment from verses 10 to the end of the chapter but what we see here is a season of transition a season of change let me just begin this morning with a question and you can raise your hand if you want to Um, how many of you have ever been through a season of change before okay that means you're like older than like two okay so we've all been through seasons of change now when you look back on that season of change, whether it's graduating from high school or graduating from college or having children or getting married or retiring or any of these issues, when you look back on that season of transition, what advice would you give yourself to do things a little bit differently? If you could go back in time, what would you change? How would you change the way you behaved or the way you acted during that season? You know, I think about my life, Laura and I have been married almost 16 years in March. Some of you are probably there at my wedding some 16 years ago right here at Calvary Bible Church. Um, you know, and I, I look back on our life together, and perhaps there was no more jarring season of transition that we had than when we moved to Texas to go to seminary school at Dallas Theological. I mean, if you know my story. I, I grew up in Huntsville, son of an engineer. Amen. All right. That's what we do here in Huntsville. Um, anyways, my dad was like the ultimate nerd. Okay. Anyways, so smart guy. Uh, son of an engineer. I graduated from Grissom. Any other Grissom graduates in the room? Yeah. Okay. There we go. Graduated from UAH. You know, got married here. Went to church here. And then we decided that the Lord's calling upon us was to move to Dallas, Texas and go to seminary school, get my THM degree. And so then we just kind of... You know, moved. You know, we had planned it all in advance, but we moved to Texas and we didn't know anybody. We didn't have any money. We, all we had was a place to live. I mean, it's one of those stories that, you know, we walked uphill in the snow both ways, you know, we didn't have any money, no friends, knew no one in that whole town. We had a, an acquaintance that's about as far as it went. And then we just spent three years in Texas and I look back on that season. I'm going to seminary school in Dallas, Texas, and I would give Byron's younger self a few pointers, a few pieces of advice. Number one would be to remember to invest in relationships and not just in grades. Number two is don't take myself too seriously, right? And just kind of take a chill pill, okay? All right, just kind of relax and enjoy life. We all go through seasons of change. I mean, honestly, if you really think about life, it is all one big season of change. As our kids slowly mature in, in our households, every single day they change. They adapt to the world around them. You know, we look at all the different seasons, you know, graduate from high school, graduate from college, get married, have our first child, our second child, our third and fourth child, like the Galdens. Or you could be like my sister who had three kids and went for a fourth and got triplets. Okay. You could do that. Talk about a season of change. You a retirement, changing jobs, getting promoted, changing careers. All of these are seasons of when we have to adapt to new surroundings. So the question we have today, and the question that I see David really answering for his son Solomon, is how do we best navigate these seasons? What advice should we heed in this season of handing the baton off to his son in order to live a life that is best for the Lord in seasons of transition. So if you have your Bible, that's what we're going to be looking at today in the book of 1 Kings, 1 Kings chapter 2, that's where we're going to be unpacking. We're going to see some practical advice and kind of what we see is, you know, David gives some really great advice in the beginning of chapter 2 and then he gives him Well, we would say questionable advice at the end of his speech, right before he passes away. But let us very quickly set the stage for our discussion this morning. Where are we when we come to 1 Kings chapter 2? We kind of pick up up where we left off last week. David is on his deathbed. He is moments away from dying. He is sitting there. He is of older age, as it says in 1 Kings chapter 1 he is cold because he's in his old age so what do they do they find a electric blanket at the time that sits at 98.6 degrees and her name is Abishag she keeps him warm in his old age and she stays with him as David is lying there on his deathbed and the reason Abishag is introduced last week is because of our story this week so Solomon as you saw in chapter 1 ascends to the throne there's a little bit of a a time of wrestling back and forth of who's going to be the king. You have Adonijah, who's the oldest, who would be the heir apparent. Take the throne, he says in verse 5 of chapter 1, that I will be king. He acts in selfishness, self-glorification. And, and then Solomon, then later on in the chapter, who is promised the throne by David, takes the throne And this is where we pick up in 1 Kings chapter 2. David is on his deathbed, and he's speaking to his son Solomon on how to rule the kingdom of Israel well. As David's time to die drew near, he charged Solomon, his son, saying, verse 2, "...I'm going the way of all the earth. Be strong, therefore, and show yourself a man." Now, if you notice here in verse 2, they, the Old Testament talks differently about death than the New Testament. He says here, is, I'm going the way of all the earth. In other words, what? I'm going to die just like everything and everyone else who has ever lived in the whole world. Friends, can I say something? We don't like to think about it, but it's just the truth. We all will die. We all will pass away. But what I find interesting in verse 2 is that David Talks about it just kind of as something that happens in life. But the New Testament speaks of death very differently. That death is not something to fear. That death ushers in eternal life for those who believe in Jesus Christ. And David just kind of says, you know, I came from dust. I'm going to return to dust. And then notice what David says. His first command he gives to Solomon is to, therefore, be strong and show yourself a man. Okay, what is David doing here? Again, he's passing the baton off to Solomon. And what is he saying? He's saying, you're about to be the king of Israel. Be strong. Step up to the plate. Don't fear. Be a leader. Parents in the room, especially those who have teenagers or young adults, encourage them to do this. Can I just say something? Sometimes we as parents do too much for our children. Instead of just saying, you know what, you are a competent adult. Be strong. Make good decisions. Make wise decisions. Already, you know, my seven-year-old, I'm, I'm telling her all the time when she's arguing with me and she's fighting and she's had conflict. And for whatever reason, my seven-year-old really likes to argue with me and not her mother. I don't get it. Anyways, uh, she is stubborn. I'm starting to nickname her Mule. Anyway, so probably shouldn't call her Mule. This will grow up with a complex. Okay. I say to her all the time when she starts arguing with me, I say, okay, Brynn, make wise choices. (laughs) Make wise choices. I'm planning in her mind that she is competent and she can make good choices. Parents in the room, be like David. Hand the baton off. Tell them to be adults. Tell them to follow the Lord. Tell them to be righteous. Tell them to make good choices in their life, to be strong, step up to the plate, especially as they approach their young adult years. So in seasons of change, number one, we should be strong. Be strong. Do not fear. Um, In seasons of transition, this is actually a really important admonition. This is a really important exhortation for us to have. Because in seasons of uncertainty, we are more susceptible to temptation. We are more susceptible to emotional decisions, to passion, to making poor choices in life. Here, David is telling his son Solomon, you're about to be the king of Israel. You're about to be the ruler over the whole nation. Now go and step up to the plate. But then notice what David says next in verse 3. He gives him a second exhortation. Be strong. And then here, keep the charge of the Lord your God. Notice all of the ways he describes the word of God, to walk in his ways. I think that word walk to mean to live daily, constantly making good choices according to the commandments of the Lord, to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes, his commandments, his ordinances, and his testimonies according to what is written in the law of Moses now notice this part that you may succeed in all you do and wherever you turn so that the lord may carry out his promise which he spoke concerning me saying if your sons are careful of their way to walk before me in truth with all of their heart with all of their soul they shall lack you shall not lack a man on the throne of israel so wait a second so number one, David tells his son to be strong. Number two is to keep God's commandments. To walk, to live, to heed, to remember, to enact his ordinances, his testimonies, his ways. And then notice the result in verse 3. It says, That you may succeed in all that you do and wherever you turn. Um, David is reminding his son Solomon that if he actually keeps the word of God, that he will find success. I'm going to say something maybe a little controversial, but obeying God's word brings success. Now, it may not be monetary American success. It may not be this uh, sense of prosperity gospel that if you give, you know, 50 cents to God, he'll give you $100 back. It's thing like that. But if we plant corn, we get corn. What does it say in Proverbs 21, 21? He who pursues righteousness and loyalty finds life, finds righteousness, and finds honor. If Solomon will obey God's commandments, number one, he will have success. But then notice the second result or the second thing that happens if Solomon will obey the Lord... So that the Lord may carry out his promise. So not only if if Solomon obeys the Lord, number one, he'll have success, but also, number two, that the throne will continue. His promise, which he spoke concerning me, saying, if your sons are careful of their way. So wait a second. He's not just placing Solomon under individual responsibility to keep the commandments of the Lord, but he's also what? He is placing responsibility upon Solomon to teach his sons and to teach his daughters and to teach his children to walk with the Lord. To walk before me in truth with their, all of their heart and with all of their soul. And you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. David is setting expectations. Can I just speak to parents again in the room? Number one parents if you especially if you have young adults or young teenagers tell them to that they are strong that they can follow the lord that they can make wise choices according to the word of god but then number two set expectations i heard a a preacher say that children generally live up to your expectations so if you're always riding them if you're always telling them about how they fail or how they stink at something, that is the expectation and that is the standard that they have in their mind. But if you're setting the expectation of here, love the Lord, follow God, understand his word, and teach those around you, teach your children to love God. Set the expectations for your children from a very young age to follow the Lord. Um, you know, I, I'm not saying I'm a perfect parent. You know, one of the things I say to my children before they go to bed every night is say, what do I want for you? I want you to be a believer, a follower of Jesus, and I want you to believe that the Bible is truth. That those two tenets, if they capture that as a young child, hopefully that that will carry them with them." So David is handing the baton off in this season of transition, and he tells them number two, to keep God's commandments. But not only to him personally but to teach his children to walk with the Lord and to live out the truth of God's word. But then David gives some questionable advice. You know, he, he starts off good in verses 1 through 4. It's great. You know, it's applicable to everybody. And then he gives Solomon a bloodless in verse 5. These are all the loose ends that David hasn't tied up. Notice verse 5. Now you also know what Joab, the son of Zariah, did to me. What he did to the two commanders of the armies of Israel, to Abner, the son of Ner, and to Amasa, the son of Jether, whom he killed. He also shed the blood of war in peace. So Joab's real guilt is not that he led armies of Israel into battle, but that he shed innocent blood in times of peace. And he put the blood of war on his own belt about his waist. He took the own, his own initiative, not to submit to the king to enact battle, but to do it himself. And on his sandals, on his feet, so act according to your wisdom and do not let his gray hair. So notice Joab is an older man. He has gray hair. Maybe he's my age. He's not quite 40, but he's got a gray head full of gray hair. I don't know. But do not let his gray hair go down to Sheol in peace. David here in Acts first, he says to Solomon, okay, yes, Joab is old, but make sure he dies before he dies of old age. Okay. So let's talk about this. Who is Joab? Joab Joab was one of David's most trusted generals. Joab went with David through thick and thin while David was running from Saul, while David was trying to establish his kingdom. But then over time, Joab decides to kind of take his own initiative. What does he do? David asks Joab not to kill his son Absalom, but then Joab kills David's son Absalom. And then Joab then supports the coup d'etat of Adonijah in chapter 1 of 1 Kings. But we see, you know, David's fatal flaw, that David doesn't want to deal with conflict. As we saw last week, the act of selfishness of David is that he has self-avoidance. He doesn't deal with issues. But the question I have is, is, why doesn't David deal with Joab? I mean, obviously David's passive, I get that part, but Joab has some dirt on David. What happened in earlier in 2 Samuel, David has an affair with Bathsheba. And then David tells Joab, his most trusted general, to take Bathsheba's husband Uriah and put Uriah on the front line so that Uriah would die. So Joab has this dirt on David. He has this commandment to murder, essentially, Uriah. And then David just kind of ignores Joab. And there's a sense of conflict in the midst of the kingdom And I believe that's in part why David keeps Joab around. He doesn't even demote him. He's just afraid because there is some dirt that he has. And then notice what he says in verse 7. So he says to kill Joab. And then his last one of his last words he says in verse 7, "...but show kindness to the sons of Barzillai the Gileadites, and let them be among those who eat at your table, for they assisted me when I fled from Absalom your brother." This story is resembled to second Samuel chapter 17. David is on the run. As it says, when I fled from Absalom, your brother, David is running from Absalom. Absalom does a coup d'etat. He's taking over the kingdom away from David. David is running. He crosses over the Jordan River and he finds solace. He finds peace in the land of Barzillai, the Gileadite. And David tells his son Solomon in the midst of this season of transition. Oh, by the way, kill that guy named Joab, but take care of this guy and then notice this piece. This is the second, kind of the last blood list he gives. Behold, there's, there is with you Shimai, the son of Gera, the Benjamite of Baharim. Now it was he who cursed me with a violent curse on the day. I went to Mahanaim. I'm, I'm, I'm working on the Hebrew here. But when he came down to me to the Jordan, I swore to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put you to death with the sword. Now, therefore, do not let him go unpunished. For you are a wise man, and you will know what you ought to do with him. And you will bring his gray hair, again, Shemmai is older, gray hair down to Sheol with his blood. Now, this is a, this is a story that happens also in 2 Samuel. David, again, is on the run from Absalom. He crosses over the Jordan River, and then he finds sanctuary in the land of Bar- Barzillai. And there's this really random story of this guy named Shemai. Who is standing, I believe, on a cliff, cursing David and his men. If you were here on Sunday nights back in the day, I did this story. So Shemhai is essentially insulting and throwing rocks at David and his caravan. And David at the time sees this guy. And one of David's soldiers says in 2 Samuel, Oh, by the way, can I just go kill this guy to make him be quiet? And David says, You know, just, 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 just let it go. And then here, we see a sense of almost bitterness and resentment that David doesn't take care of this guy named Shammai. He doesn't kill him. He just kind of puts up with Shammai's insults. And again, it just goes back to David's fatal flaw. I mean, we have this guy named David who is a great man. He's a man after God's own heart. He loves the Lord. He... He obeys God, but then he just likes to avoid dealing with problems. And what we see here is in seasons of change, step up to the plate, keep God's word. And then number three, we should learn from others. We should learn from the mistakes and triumphs of others. I believe in part why David tells his son Solomon to do these acts is not just to, you know, tie up loose ends but i think it's also to teach solomon to you know teach solomon to deal with problems in his kingdom but then notice david's obituary verses 10 through 12 this is david's passing in the book of first kings and this is the transition of david to solomon then david slept with his fathers and was buried in the city of david the days that david reigned over israel 40 years Seven years he reigned in Hebron because these seven years, if you remember, Abner appointed Ishbosheth, the son of Saul. And so David reigned in Hebron, and 33 years he reigned in Jerusalem. And Solomon sat on the throne of David, his father, and his kingdom was firmly established. This is David's obituary. Um, David was a great man, but he made a lot of mistakes. I mean, he was a murderer, he was an adulterer, he was an absentee father, he was passive, he didn't deal with issues. But as I was studying this passage this week, a principle came to my mind is this, that David's life reminds me of this principle, that despite our mistakes, God can use us for great things. I'm going to repeat that. Despite our sin, God can use us for great things. David was a murderer and adulterer, but God used him in mighty ways. God used him to unite the country, to slay a giant, to establish Jerusalem as the capital city, to stamp out idolatry in the nation of Israel, to lay the plans for to build the house of the Lord to write large portions of the Old Testament that God worked through David despite his, all of his mistakes. And David's life reminds me that despite our sin, God can use us for great things. Can I say something? Friends, your obituary is not written yet. You alive, okay? See, no one has written your obituary yet. You are here today. In other words, this, that God is not done with you. Can I just speak a little bit? So many times we get so caught up by the mistakes we make in the past. Well, I can't do that because of this I did. Or God can't use me because of this occurrence. But the Lord used a man like David in immeasurable ways. And even in the New Testament, God calls David a man after his own heart. And here is a guy that is full of sin and full of mistakes. But the Lord uses him. Friends, listen to me. You don't have to be put out to pasture. Your obituary is not yet written. The Lord can use you in mighty ways. But if you have made mistakes, if you are far from the Lord, return to him. I think it's what David does well is that he repents when the Lord can be found. Go read the book of Psalms if you believe if you struggle to believe that he was good at repentance. So we see this season of change. David, before he goes out, before he goes into paradise, he tells his son to be strong, keep his commandments, and to learn from the mistakes and triumphs of others. And Solomon does. Solomon learns from David because notice what he does in verses three through twenty five. We have this kind of episode of Adonijah comes back on the scene. And I believe this is where Solomon learns from his father. Now, Adonijah, the son of Haggith, came to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon. And she said, do you come peacefully? And he said, yes, I come peacefully. Then he said, I have something to say to you. And she said, speak. And he said, you know that the kingdom was mine. A little bit of a passive-aggressive comment, because it really wasn't. Okay, and that all Israel expected me to be king. However, the kingdom has turned about and become my brothers, for it was his from the Lord. I think it's a little bit of passive-aggressive there. Okay, now I am making one, just, just, just one small request of you, do not refuse me. And she said, okay, it's fine, speak. And then he said, please speak to Solomon the king, for he will not refuse you that he may give me Abishag the Shunammite as a wife. And Bathsheba said, very well, I will speak to the king for you. Just a small request. You know, what's the big deal? Verse 19. So Bathsheba went to the king, Solomon, to speak to him for Adonijah. And the king arose. Notice how he treats his mother. And the king arose to meet her, bowed before her, and sat on his throne. Um, Solomon is king over Israel, but you never outgrow uh, the fifth commandment to honor your father and mother. Here he is. He honors his father. He honors he honors his mother. He bows before her, and then notice he says, "In that he then he had a throne set for the king's mother, and she sat on his right." And then she said, "Okay, I'm making one small request. Not that big of a deal. Do not refuse me." And the king said, "There, okay. Ask my mother, for I will not refuse you." Verse 21. So she said, "Let Abishag." the Shunammite, be given to Adonijah, your brother, as a wife. King Solomon answered and said to his mother, And why are you asking Abishag, the Shunammite, for Adonijah? Ask for him also the kingdom, for he is my older brother, even for him, for Abathar, the priest, and for Joab, the son of Zariah. Then King Solomon swore by the Lord, saying, May God do so to me, and more also, if Adonijah... Has not spoken this word against his own life. Now, therefore, as the Lord lives, who has established me and set me on the throne of my father, David, and who has made me a house, as he promised, surely Adonijah shall be put to death. So uh, you know, Adonijah comes to Bathsheba, and he, the reason he comes to Bathsheba is because he knows that the best way to ask for Abishag, the wife, is to get Bathsheba, Solomon's mother, on the bandwagon. So Bathsheba does just a small request. We don't really know why Bathsheba goes to Solomon. I suspect because he probably feels bad. She's the one that caused Solomon to take the throne, and so, you know... Bathsheba asked for Abishag to be the wife of Adonijah, and we really don't think that this is a big deal, um, but it is. What is Adonijah really doing? We are disconnected from the culture, but Abishag... and Let me give you a little bit of FYI. Abishag, what some scholars say is that the book of the Song of Solomon is written to Abishag. FYI. Just go impress your friends over coffee. Okay. Okay. Um, Abishag is a sign of royalty. When a new king would come, he would often inherit the harem of the previous king. So he, all the queens of the previous king would become the queens of the new king. So here you have Abishag, who is essentially a queen, and Adonijah wants to take her as his wife. This is a subversive attempt by Adonijah to take back the kingdom, to take back the throne
0: but how
1: okay think about the king of england who's the king of england again i can help me with this one but there we go Prince, king charles okay there we go so there are different symbols of royalty in england right you have the crown you have the palace you have the throne and then you have the queen right so what what Adonijah is really asking for is the, okay okay king charles you can keep the crown the throne and the palace, but I want the queen, right? And then what he's doing is he's being subversive. He's trying to slowly take back what is not rightfully his. And so Solomon clearly sees right through it. He exercises wisdom and he learns from the mistakes and triumphs of David and he puts Adonijah to death. But what I find interesting about this story is that Solomon was willing to let it go. If you remember at the end of 1 Kings chapter 1, this is what Solomon says to Adonijah right before he takes the throne, verse 52. And Solomon said to Adonijah, If you will be a worthy man, not one of your hairs will fall to the ground, but if wickedness is found in him, you will surely die. So King Solomon is willing to compromise with Adonijah, but because of his request, he has Adonijah killed. And Solomon is learning from the mistakes of his father David to deal with issues. And then what we see in the rest of chapter two is the is the execution. I guess for better for lack of a better word, is is Solomon doing the will, doing the last testimony of David, verses 26 and 27. Solomon ends the priestly rule of Abiathar, verses 28 through 35. Solomon finishes off Joab. And then verses 36 through 46, Solomon takes care of Shammai, the guy who insulted David. And then this is the result of all of these executions. So the king commanded Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, and he went out and fell upon Shammai so that he would die. Thus the kingdom was established in the hands of Solomon. So what is David's point to Solomon that in times of Transition and seasons of change in this rite of passage, he says to be strong, keep God's commandments, and to learn from the mistakes and triumphs of others. The question I have is this one. Uh, So what? How do we apply it to our life? Let me just ask you the question here today. I want you to just kind of take a moment to self-reflect. What is a season of change you're currently walking through? What is a season of transition you're currently facing? If you're a parent of young children, the seasons of change are very, very slow. But sometimes changes are fast. If you have graduated from high school, graduated from college, had a kid, had a fourth kid like the Gaudens, okay? And they have eight more to go. I see their future. Okay. Um... You know, if you I have started a new career, you started an, a new job, you have a new boss, you took a new promotion, any, any season of change that we have, what is, what is really going on? Maybe you retired or you're moving, you're moving houses, you just moved to Huntsville. There's a variety of changes in life that we face. So then, what, number one, what is, what is going on in your life? Number two is this. Is in the face of that transition, be strong. When you go through that rite of passage, passions are strong, emotions are strong, temptations are faced that you may not know. You may not, if you move to a new city, you may not have the support system to be strong in the Lord to have that encouragement. Also, when you go through seasons of change, often your schedule is super super busy, so you're not spending time. Ample time in the Word. So the question I have, or the first thing I would say is to be strong, to step up to the plate. If you have a new promotion, be a leader. Don't shy away from it. But then number two, in the midst of this transition to keep God's commandments, can I just speak a little bit? Oftentimes, when life gets busy, God gets pushed to the back burner, you know? Um, oftentimes our quiet times, our time with the Lord is something we do if we have time. Instead of making time for the Lord, we try to find time for the Lord. And what David says to Solomon here, he says, keep God's commandments, walk in his testimony, walk in his truth, walk in his ways, live it out on a daily basis. Because friends, the truth does you no good unless you know it. What does it say in the scripture? It says, and you will know the truth and the truth will make you free. The truth does us no good unless we know it, unless we meditate on it. I believe that's what David is telling his son Solomon, that get to know the word of God, live it out, teach it to your children, set expectations for them. But then number three is to learn from the mistakes and triumphs of others. What is your season of change you are going through? And then the next question I have is, who is someone that has gone through a similar season? Who is someone that has also raised 12 children, like the Galdans are going to? Okay. Who is someone else that has had a similar promotion to you at work? Who is someone else that has recently got married? You know, as I get older, the older I get, the wiser my parents become. Anybody else realize that? You know, <laughs> the wiser they become. Why? Because I learn from them. If you're facing a tough decision or you're in the midst of a transition, who is someone else that has walked a similar road? And how can you learn from them so that you do not make the same mistakes? That's what I see in the story of 1 Kings chapter 2. So how do we best handle these seasons? Be strong, keep God's word, and to learn from the mistakes and triumphs of others. But Before I close, um, friends, if you do not know Christ Jesus, if you do not have a relationship with him today, I'm just going to extend to you an invitation that if you died today, where would you go? Do you know if you would go to heaven when you die? And one preacher said this, he says, do not tell me that you're a good person and that's why you would go to heaven. And they would say, well, you don't know me. And then this preacher said, well, if I knew you, then I think you're worse than you really are. Okay. Just really stuck it to that crowd. Okay. (laughs) And he says this, he says, look, you may be good in a relative sense, but all of us are imperfect. All of us make mistakes. And that we are, you may be good compared to other people in the world, but no one is good enough to get to heaven. Because heaven is not a place of good people. It is a place for forgiven people. Only forgiven people go to heaven. How do you become forgiven? By coming to Jesus Christ and saying to him that you're sorry for your sin and that you repent of your sin and that you turn to him and you put your faith in Jesus Christ and in him alone alone. For only He can save you. Today I would like to extend to you an invitation for those that do not know where they are in their relationship with the Lord. If they have never trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life, if they've never, if you've never believed in Him as Lord and Savior, then today is an opportunity for you to come to Him and to bow your head and to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and King of your life. I'm going to invite you today, if you want to have, if you have more questions about how to have a relationship with God, I would invite you to see me after this service today. Let me pray for us. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you just that we can gather together and learn from other people, from the saints of old, those that you've given us as examples for us not to do so that we would not crave evil things as they did. Lord, I pray that we would not make the same mistakes as David. Lord, that, but we would also do what he did well, Lord, that we would love you, that we would meditate on your word, but Lord, that we would also be proactive in our lives, and that we would learn from other people. Lord, I just thank you for the practical stories and the practical application of your word in the Old Testament. May we take heed to the saints that have come before us. And Lord, I just thank you for this church. I thank you uh, just, Lord, for their continued generosity and just their continued servant hearts. Um, to reach out to people and to help people know you. And Lord, I just uh, thank you for this morning. Be with the rest of today. In Jesus' name, amen.